May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my redeemer. The great Episcopal preacher, the Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor, said that uh, this text and uh, the text about giving away all your worldly goods uh, in the scripture, this text and that text, are the ones that prove the limits of biblical literalism. And in many ways that's true. If our hand or foot or eye causes us to stumble, to bring ourselves or others into harm, we do not cut them off. Thank God. There are so many graphic images in the Gospel of Mark today. Demon possession, which leads to acts of healings that make Jesus' followers jealous of those who are successful, that are outside of their group and successful. That image of demon possession, of limbs being chopped off, of eyes being pulled out, of people being salted by fire, of worms that never die. All of these sounds like the, the prototypes of uh, our today's video games, right? And remind us that violence is not just a modern problem. And lost or nestled or to be found in the middle of all that chaos, all that violent language, is a simple act of charity which my Nana often reminded me meant love, love in action. In the middle of chaos, we find the action of love, of a simple action. In the middle of the graphic images that Jesus himself invokes, Jesus points out someone who gives another someone a cup of water to drink because they bear the name of Christ. Tellingly, that helps us remember that Jesus' followers in Jesus' day were not that popular. They challenged the status quo of the, the, the religious establishment and the empire putting God above all. And so to give and be kind to a Christian was an act of courage, of reaching out across serious divides. And so in other places in the scripture, we Christians are asked to remember to give drink to the thirsty as an act of Christian love. But here we are reminded that we can also receive 
that love and that ministry from those who see our humanity even if they don't agree with our faith. Acts of love can cross deep and serious divides. Acts of love, simple though they be, often take great courage in the midst of horrendous violence. In a place that knew serious fatal divides, a loving pastor named Oscar Romero taught that we have never preached violence as Christians, except the violence of love. The violence we preach is not the violence of the sword, the violence of hatred. It is the violence of love, the violence that will beat weapons into sickles for work, the violence that only undoes hatred, woundedness, gaps, bridges, divides. It's an energy, a strength, a love that removes stumbling blocks and offers a cool cup of water to those who need it most, whether they are us or whether they are them. And that cup of water is a blessing. Even as Jesus called for his beloved followers to take dramatic action, to avoid getting in God's way, he showed how anyone can walk part of the way of love. See someone thirsty, part of a group of vulnerable, as Christians were, part of a group that's being targeted, Haitians under a bridge in Mexico, and give them water. God enters the human heart by its own ways. God enters the wise through wisdom. God enters the simple through simplicity. God can enter into our lives through acts of courageous and simple love. And yet there are so many stumbling blocks. So many stumbling blocks. The great Christian mystic Julian of Norwich lived in a time of rampant disease, death, and turmoil. She lived in England during one of the worst pandemics in human history. Some speculate that she became an anchoress, that is a holy woman, woman who sequesters herself in order to devote her entire life to God. Some speculate that she became that anchoress after she lost her children and her husband to the great plague. Certainly, she lost many neighbors because a third of her town, a third of her town, Norwich's population, was believed to have been decimated in that plague. In 1373, at the age of 30, Julian lay on her deathbed for seven days. 
At one point, everyone around her thought that she had died, and even her mother was called to see her and reached to close her eyes, but she was not dead. She was suffering. And in that time of suffering, she had 16 visions that she referred to as showings that she wrote about in the revelation of divine love. And in one of those visions, she wrote that she heard Jesus most tenderly saying, all will be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Some of you may be familiar with that saying. It's become quite popular to quote in Christian circles, and it's on um, stickers, and it's on all kinds of things. And I, myself, use it to pray often, but she wasn't saying it in a time that was easy. She wasn't saying it in a Pollyanna way. She was saying it after much loss, in the middle of suffering, because Jesus spoke to her tenderly. And it didn't make any sense at all to say it. And yet, many of us have benefited from that simple truth of hope. It's like a cup of water handed down through the ages for us to drink when we need that hope. A pastor told of a time he went to an art museum and was struck by this one painting in which a woman was playing a harp. And it looked beautiful from a distance, but as you got closer to it, you could see that she was bloodied, her clothes were tattered, the mountain she was on was filled with human suffering, her harp had mostly broken strings. Reduced to a single frayed string. And then he wrote, my eyes were drawn to the scene below, down to the valley below where everywhere there were ravages of illness and the drumbeat of war and Yet the harpist is looking upwards, a, a few faint notes floating towards the heavens. She dares to hope. She has the audacity to make music and to praise God on the one string that she had left. Esther used the one string that she had left to help her people. She used her love and her gift of dance to get the king's attention. It's not a neat and clean story. If you read the whole book, 
It's not as simple as we want to make it. Even though Esther was the queen, her life depended on the whims of the king. And when she asked for her people to be saved, it was a risky thing to do. And to dance was a risky thing to do. In fact, the former queen, Vashti, had been dethroned and banished when she refused to dance at the party for the king and his court. She didn't want to show off her beauty to a bunch of partying men. Esther had been named queen in her place. But Esther found her purpose and her courage to dance in that horrible situation. She saw her chance to save her people, the Jewish people, from a vicious plot formed by the closest allies to the king. And because she danced, he offered her something. But if she had been tired or shy or ashamed, she would have been out of luck. I don't know if you've heard this saying about the famous dancers uh, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, but that Fred was excellent, they said, but remember that Ginger had to do everything Fred did, but backwards and in high heels. And so Esther had to do a dance of power as well. And she was, thank God, able to step up and save her people to look up with hope and play the one string left on her heart. James reminds us that the prayers of the faithful have efficacy, have effect, have strength. We are to pray for our country, our nation, our community, each other to be healed of the plagues that ravage us and to use the power, whatever power we have, large or small, on behalf of the people of God, that we may say that we walk the way of Christ and are not stumbling blocks to the will of God. Amen.